like three days, four days after the fire, we were already starting to see like, how are we going to be better people in the end? How are we going to help people better? How can we give better in the future? How can we support people better in the future? Same thing as, you know, racing, like how, you know, how can I do better next time? How can I bring more to the team? Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. In adventure racing lingo, a dark zone is a time when due to darkness or safety, teams are paused on the course before continuing with the race. During that time, stories are exchanged, friendships are kindled, spirits are restored, and teams have a chance to prepare for the next challenge. We hope that you make good use of this dark zone. We're glad that you're here. Today, we are joined by Katie Farrington of Never Summer Race Productions and the Rocky Mountain Adventure Series. A longtime racer and race director, Katie walks us through her introduction to the sport, what she has learned along the way, and how her adventure race background has helped her family deal with a recent challenge. Originally recorded in May of 2022, I'm happy to report that the July edition of Never Summer went off without a hitch, and congratulations to Katie and her team. Enjoy today's episode, and thank you, Katie, for joining the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. But today, the Dark Zone is joined by Katie Farrington. Uh, Katie is from Boulder, Colorado, um, which, by the way, I have two questions for people who live in Boulder is, is how great is it and why aren't we all living there? But we'll come back to the second, Katie. Um, okay. Katie is, a, is a, a longtime race director, promoter, racer herself. She's kind enough to join the Dark Zone today to talk a bit about her life, her experience, what she sees working with newer racers, um, and then what also she sees as involved in the Rocky Mountain Adventure Series, which she'll talk a bit about, and then her own, re- her own races, which are the uh, Never Summer Race Productions. So, Katie, thank you for joining the Dark Zone today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into the specifics of the the races that you do and you organize and very vibrant racing out west and once again, Colorado, beautiful and all of that. Talk to us a bit about yourself. What is your own? What's your origin story? How did you get into adventure racing? Yeah, I actually lived in uh, Central Florida, uh, let's see, early 2000s. And at that point, I was doing uh, triathlons and some longer distance running, like marathons, and just had some friends invite me to, I believe it was like the Bear Adventure Race in Jacksonville. And uh, went and did it and had a great time. We, I don't even know if we officially finished, but had a great time. Started participating then. At that time, it was the Pangea race series in central Florida and started traveling up, um, you know, more North into Georgia and the Carolinas to race. Um, and then in 2010 left Florida to come back to my home state of Colorado. Um, and at that point kind of switched over there, there weren't many short races. The calendar here was way more scarce compared to, you know, the Southeast, um, so I started just meeting some racers and instead of doing the short ones, I just signed up for more of the expedition races. And that's when, you know, the untamed and the, the gold rush, California, and, um, went down to Belize and, um, you know, some of the, uh, the newer long races, expedition organs and stuff. So that's, uh, kind of my history. I started, I guess, officially 2006 and, um, yeah, still, still love it. Still loving it. Still doing it. So when you. Yeah. When you made the jump, and it's not an uncommon uh, story that adventure racers talk about how they're involved in endurance sports, right? Marathoning, triathlon, things like that. They make that jump into adventure racing. Like I said, is the most common pathway that we see. How quickly did you take to it? Was it a good experience right away? Did you suffer and kind of love it? Did you did you take to it like like a duck takes the water? Like, what was your entry like into the sport? 
Yeah, I think the duck to the water, uh, I, I loved it. We didn't do well. We actually had, I think, a chain break and one teammate just want to quit on us. But during that time, I realized these people have done one of these before. I never have. And I'm having fun and I feel like I'm good at this. So it was kind of an immediate, I think I need to give this sport a chance. I think I might might be be good at it. So did you follow the trajectory where you you joined up with a group of people who had some racing experience and they kind of dragged you along for that first race and you kind of watched and you learned? Uh, yeah, that team didn't have much experience. It was more of a, I did that race. And then my uh, husband, Nick, who at that time was, you know, he liked to do some of the running events I did. And uh, he had some basic training experience with the Air Force Academy. So he uh, thought he could navigate. And I thought I was an experienced adventure racer having like one eight hour race under my belt. Sure, sure. So, you know, very, Matt, com- very common <laughs> belief, by the way. <laughs> so no, we, uh, we did terrible. <laughs> Good thing we were still together. <laughs> so no, we suffered through. I remember my first 24 hour race, uh, quit after six hours running out of water in the waterways of central Florida. <laughs> yeah. And just so, the whole, the whole thing just falling apart, right? So just, many mistakes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. it, it took a while to, to find some more experienced racers that we actually you know, did good. So <laughs> gotcha. And, and to your credit and, and, you know, a large part of the dark zone is about the new eraser to your credit. You didn't allow that initial frustration, which is, you know, you get to live in two worlds. It's it's maddeningly difficult and it's wildly enjoyable. And those two things can be agreeable at the same time, right? That could be happening. You didn't let that get in the way of your own your own enjoyment. And then clearly you you got a bit of the bug and all of a sudden you found yourself in the Southeast, right? You, were, you mentioned Georgia, you mentioned Florida, things like that. When did you make the jump to multi-day expedition racing? Oh, it was, I want to say Untamed New England was the first one. And that was once I moved out here to Colorado, but it was a team from that. I knew the people from Florida. Um, so that it was 2010. So I feel for me, it was a slow, uh, slow growth. And I really, uh, I mean, I grew every time I'd see a team like kill it. I, I wanted to be like them at that point. It was, you know, Tim and Anna who were uh, shake a leg Miami, you know, I just look at them and they win every race and I really wanted to be like that. So it was encouraging and, or just motivational for me to, to watch those great racers. And I wanted to do better, um, but it was a slow, you know, I guess that was four years before I did my first multi-day race. The slow growth model is, 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 uh, sometimes a bit different. Very often we'll speak to adventure racers either on the dark zone or informally, that they'll get in the bug right away and they'll jump right into a major race with very little thought about it. And your, your gradual growth into the sport probably helped you because the frustration was never so high that you wanted to walk away from the sport altogether. Correct. Okay. I think I actually did looking back, I did a C to C um, with the prior race organizers. Okay. So that might've been my first, but we finished in like two days, but yeah, that was, gotcha. was gradual. So did you go through the normal feeling that when you made the jump to multi-day racing, and I remember this for myself when I started doing it, the race would start, it would be a three-day race or a five-day race. And you'd say to yourself, oh my goodness, like I'm not going to be back inside in a bed formally for like four days from now or five days from now. How did you wrap your head around the sleep part of it? Cause that's a, that's a big leap for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. Oh. I think, yeah, just asking as many experienced races as possible, you know, what, what, how do you stay awake? And I remember at that time, you know, even the first 24 hour race, you know, at two, 3 AM, you know, feeling tired and going off the side of the road. And, and now I laugh at that because it's, you know, I, I can go, you know, two or three nights before that happens. But initially it's, 
um, yeah, it's a big jump. Um, yeah, I just, I try to ask around and, um, find what to do. And then for me, it was, you know, what caffeine or for me, five hour energy <laughs> work to get through that first night and the second night. Um, but yeah, I think that I got hooked on expedition racing because it, that, that suffer fest and it, just the knowing that at the end, um, how, I don't know how much you feel, uh, uh, just positive and empowered that you just did something. So right. it was, uh, yeah, no, no, no there's, de- there's definitely a feeling that a lot of adventure racers have that it is very rewarding and enthralling and exciting to do something that you thought you couldn't do previously. Right. You, right. we all think we have our own limits and then those limits kind of are, first of all, they're most often self-imposed, right? right? They're, they're nobody else. And then when you break through it by virtue of doing a big race or having a big, a good experience, racing with people, racing faster, having success, mm-hmm. when you get a taste of that, it's, it's hard not to return to that. Right. And so time and time again, adventure racers talk a bit about that. Um, what I found interesting in your trajectory is it sounds like there was a pretty vibrant scene in the Southeast, but then you went to Colorado, which is quite honestly an adventure mecca, right? Boulder and Golden and Denver and all that. You found it to be pretty thin out there for adventure racing. Was that your experience? Yes, there was maybe at that time the Adventure Extreme Series AXS was going on. And they maybe you know, there's one race in Moab, one in Buena Vista, but it was really far apart. Um, it just it wasn't the scene that, you know, where you get two races a month if you wanted to down in the southeast. Um, why so that's that that why, why was that? that do you th- why was that? Do you think were people distracted with other outdoor pursuits? Was there so much else to do out there between the yeah. mountains? And still, we're finding that we're like, you know, there's so many people out here that love this stuff. Like, why are races, you know, not, you know, this busting at the seams, you know, five hundred to thousand racers and there's so much to do the ultra marathons the tries the i mean even just you know the bag in the 14ers getting as many 14 uh, thousand you know foot mountains you know in, in their pockets uh there's the, the swift water scene here and um yeah there's just lots right right there's there's such a wide there's it's a highly motivated clientele but it's also a clientele with a lot of choices right so to your point you could ultra run, you could climb, you could pet, you go with the 14ers, you could run across the desert, you could be in Moab in six hours, you could be in Fruita, you could be mountain biking. And so it's interesting that in the East, we struggle for attendance and adventure racing because we have a clientele that isn't wildly interested in it because there's so many other things to do. And there's, there's, they're not really as fit as you are out West, where in Colorado, you have the challenge of there's just so many other options and therefore getting people to get into adventure racing is they're like, well, I could ski, I could hike, I could climb, I could paddle, I could do all of that. Yeah. Um, interesting. But it sounds like you've tried to work through that through the Rocky Mountain Adventure Series. What was that? Correct. Yeah. About, I don't know, four years ago. Uh, I mean, we have some amazing race directors. You had Jason and Abby up in Idaho. Um, we had, um, I mean, there were some other, uh, Chelsea uh, was, Luttrell was at the time doing some races. Now it's, you know, Jess Evans, um, guys doing some other smaller races. Um, and we all were like, we need a centralized website and series that people can come to, uh, to find these races, you know, prior it was, you had to, you know, just Google for a race and you'd be taken to this organization or this organization. So we wanted to create, uh, just a, um, yeah, kind of a home base for all of us race directors to advertise our events, um, and then also motivate teams to do multiple multiple events in the series by offering a prize purse at the end for Got the win. With the, um, is it, is it somewhat like out West, like it is back East here where race directors have kind of like general areas that they work inside of 
and you all sort of respect each other's locations. Yeah, we kind of came into this like, all right, you're doing over there. I'm going to be over here. And so, yeah, that's uh, we weren't uh, really in- intending to do that or didn't have that rule. But it's kind of worked out. We have our, our regions that we, we well, that's that's basic human decency. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, we have it here and I think it's everywhere. I don't think it's just it's not the east or the west or even the central part of the country. I think that race directors, for the most part, you know, uh, want to be successful, but more importantly, they want to see other race directors be successful because when there's a successful race in Idaho and there's a clientele base that really enjoyed it, they may travel down, down the, the spine of the Rocky Mountain and do a race in a Colorado, do a race in New Mexico, things like that. And so to your credit, right, through the adventure series, that you guys are not, you're, you're not cannibalizing each other. Correct. Yeah. We uh, usually have a meeting the July or August of the year before the you know, race season so short here because of the weather. Um, unless, you know, one of us keeps saying we're going to put on a fat bike, snow, snow race that we haven't done yet, but the season's so short that it's about three, four months of races. We need to get organized, um, as a group of race directors, not step on each other's toes zone wise, but also dates. You know, we, we talk about our, it's really good to have a six hour race at the beginning. And then like they're a 12 hour and then like the 24 or two day race will be later in the summer. So we, uh, definitely want to, um, like you said, you know, the team has a great experience at the six hour race. We want them to get back on the website and like, what's the next, you know, next distance, next place I can go. And right. Uh, what you want is you want, you want your racers on the way home from the race, one person driving, one person in a passenger seat, looking up the right. Where's right. the next race we can go. That's what you want. Right. And we hear that time and time again, is that people <laughs> sign up for their next race after doing their first race, even if the things have gone South. They still love it and off they go. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of listeners that are dark zone. We get feedback are people who've made the jump from, you know, there's, there's this progression. You go from racer to, you know, you, you go from multi-sport endurance athlete to adventure racer where you do a six hour race, eight hour race. Very often people get into larger races than they get into race directing. You're in an interesting perspective because as a race director yourself, and I definitely want you to talk about the never summer races and, and we'll get into that in a second. But as as someone who's so involved with the Rocky Mountain Adventure Series, what are some of the best practices you would give to aspiring race directors? Like, what are the few things that they should really focus on if they want a race to go well, if they want to start something up in their region? Mm -hmm. How do they go about doing that? Yeah, good question. For us here in Colorado, permitting is an issue. So like immediate conversation with the National Forest, the BLM, whoever, if you know private property owners, just before you even get your heart set on putting on a race, you know, talk to the local permitting agencies and get a feel for what they're looking for. And is it possible? Um, you, know, you don't want to get start going down the path of like, I'm going to be a race director now. I'm motivated. There's nothing that's ever been over here. Well, maybe there's a reason there's nothing ever been there because right. it's really hard to permit. Um, also for me, looking at the water scene, um, some areas of the country, you can find water anywhere and find boats everywhere, anywhere, uh, here in the mountain West, uh, we have you know, only so many rivers and, and lakes and reservoirs, um, and there aren't boat, uh, rental services. Like there are other parts. So, you know, starting to kind of get a feel for, you know, are you going to have people bring their own, you know, water craft, or if there's a place that you can, can rent from close by. So, uh, yeah, no, I, um, the reason for never summer race productions back in, in 2015, I was camping over near Grand Lake on the other side of, uh, the, um, continental divide from Estes park. 
and we were camping over there as a family and I was looking at this is a huge national forest. There's no adventure races here. Um, and it's right. Uh, that area was, is the never summer wilderness right there, which we can't actually go into the wilderness as a permanent event, but that's where the name came from. Um, and then fast forward a few years, I, I have had races in the summer that it actually snowed, <laughs> snowed on the racer. So it makes sense. It's a perfect name. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I just encourage, uh, first time race directors, talk to your local permitting agency, What's the water situation? Um, and, you know, start going from there. In the, in the Mountain West, um, you know, we talk about, let's, we'll talk about America for a second, because the other parts of the world we can talk about, especially with Africa, and now there's a race in the Faroe Islands. Alaska, when it comes to being outdoors and size and mass and danger, Alaska is really by itself in its whole brand new atmosphere, right? It's the last frontier, it's massive. Mm. And so races there are challenging. I would assume the mountain West with the elevation, the fact that you could have multiple, you could see all seasons in a day, access to water, the, the, um, the, 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 the air, not the air quality, but the, the, how thin the air can be based on altitude, the size of the mountains. Um, if a race goes off in the wrong direction, they're going to be out there for days and days and days. I would assume that safety plays a really large role. Not that races back East are not safe, but in, in the American East, for the most part, if you take a safety bearing of a certain direction, unless you're like in parts of Maine, you could walk for seven, eight, nine hours. And for the most part, you could stumble across a road. That's not always the case in the American West. Not always the case, uh, but because we cannot go into wilderness areas, I mean, granted, racers can accidentally go into wilderness right. areas. You know, we try to keep them closer to some form of a trail system road. Um, but yeah, no, definitely the elevation, um, altitude, sickness. Um, I'm going to say the highest I've had a point was at 13,000 feet. And there was a local team that was the only one that could do that one. Um, so it's the challenge, the uh, you know, dehydration is very dry here and there's not a lot of water. So as you know, as a race director prior, I, I try to make sure a few days before I'm going and checking out all the re-entrance and the, you know, it looks like a, a water source on the map may not actually be there. So I try to give everyone a heads up at the pre-race meeting, like expect water or don't expect water. Um, so the dehydration and um, elevation altitude um, is definitely a factor that I'm I'm always thinking about, especially when I have teams come in from, from sea level. Which probably gets in the way of a team flying out there to do a race. Like I, I would assume, what is the longest race that is put on in the adventure series? How many days? Uh, we did, uh, right now it's a 20, this, this season is 24 hour. We had, uh, you know, expedition Colorado was scheduled and that was canceled for this year. Um, and then the nomad, which has been a, a 48 hour race for many years, the last two years has had, uh, permitting issues, uh, being able to switch it like the BLM national forest coordination hasn't been able to work out for them. So we haven't been able to, to put that one on. So right now it's 24 hours. Typically we have something longer than that. Got you know, your, your advice is well taken that the, the best thing an aspiring race director could do is before he or she does anything when it comes to the race is talk to the people who sign the bottom line. Correct. Because nothing could be more toxic to a relationship than for an aspiring race director to be talking publicly about a place where they're putting a race on and they and word gets back to the permitting agency that, whoa, 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 you didn't talk to us first. It's over. Right. Like I, I, people get their, their, rightfully so, their back kind of goes up and they push back on that. Um, and obviously, you know, very much for the, for the Mountain West, the idea of water on the course, water to, water to be on, water to consume, and that plays a major role. Um, I had never, I had never 
consider, you know, you consider the West to be such a mecca of so many things, but it sounds like the adventure series has specific challenges that really aren't found in other parts of the country. Some of they're lower in elevation and they're a lot more wet, mm-hmm. which kind of points to why the Southeast is so good. Yeah. Right? Cause the Southeast, you can walk off your couch in theory and you could race and it's mm-hmm. not as challenging as you would have in Colorado or, or the high peaks. Yep. And they, they are, the population growth here is booming. These, you know, permitting agencies are trying to restrict foot traffic, bike traffic. So they're just limiting more and more. Um, so it's tough And you know, with the wilderness areas that are out here in other parts of the mountain West, you know, if a trail may go through national forest BLM and then just cut a corner of, uh, you know, a wilderness area and you, that trail is out and you can't yeah. do that. And can't do that. Okay. so it's, um, yeah, it's, it is challenging some parts of the state in this region to, so, to so, when, so, so when someone shows up out there and I'm going to, I'm going to make an assumption. I want you to push back on it. When, when a newer racer shows up there, I'm going to assume for the most part that he or she probably has already some endurance outdoor experience. <laughs> and as a result, they may have a sense of overconfidence when it comes to their current skill set and their adventure racing skill set, whether it be the navigation, the multi-sport train back and forth, whatever it is. What is your advice to newer racers? What do you what do you want people to really focus on when when you're when you're doing a pre race pre race briefing and you're looking out over the crowd? What kind of gives you the willies? Like, what do you say to yourself? Ooh, they're gonna have a tough time today. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, I've definitely learned over the years uh, that I get more people that have that you know they think they can conquer the world, and so I've definitely had to back off my uh, altitude gain, you know, elevation during a race, um, or extend my cutoff to like a thirty hour instead of a twenty four. Um, it gives me the willies. Uh, I guess nothing you know, just warning them ahead of time, encouraging them, like, you know, have fun, do what you can stick together, be safe, skip points. If you need to, you know, my races, I give that option somewhere along the way to skip points, like just, you know, stay on course. And I'll also try, especially if I know it's a newer racer or a team that, uh, you know, say if you're not here by this time, you really should consider skipping this, this next section. Building, building a soft cutoff for them and saying, if by noon you're not at CP five or whatever it is, it's time to, it's time to consider how you're going to get back over here. Right. Yep. But no, I encourage, I mean, I'm be the first one. If someone emails me, like, can I do this? Like, that's not my job to tell, you know, if you can do it or not, I think try it, go for it and right. just have a good attitude the whole time. And, you know, if you'll figure out for yourself, if you need to cut back the, you know, what type of race you do, or you're ready for the next, next level. As a teammate yourself, what was your primary role on your team? When you would do it, when you do a major, when you went to untamed new England. And by the way, at this point in the podcast, I always reference uh, Grant Killian and how Grant Killian needs to come back to adventure racing. I try to work it into every single podcast now that I can. Um, so when you would race, what would your primary role be? Yeah, more recent years, probably the last five, six years, especially even since you know becoming a race director and um, is backup nav. Uh, typically night two, day two, night two, I take over nav um, and we'll do start doing some big chunks of it. Um, logistics ahead of the race, big on... Um, you know, what time we need to get there, where we need to stay, uh, gear pack, you know, packing. Um, and then uh, team singer, I don't know, Christmas Carol. Uh, you know. you're, that, you're, you're that person. You're singing, yeah, you're singing, you're singing 100 bottles of beer on the wall. Right. It depends right. on the other energy, you know, level of everybody else. And exactly. It, it yeah. well, well, that's always, in, and for the newer racers out there, it's it's an art as well as a science to re- realize what your teammates need and when they need it. Right. right? Because jolly, happy, we're all in this together teammate might get pushed out of a boat at three o'clock in the morning, as opposed yeah. to head down, work hard teammate, just doing yeah. their job. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. So on a pretty like level, um, uh, yeah, when the mandatory gear comes out, the short film that will be about uh, Expedition Oregon last year mm-hmm. and those reverse co-ed uh, team, um, I know it was Chelsea or Ray, I said, you know, I'm the most like consistent, like my, I, you know, I don't really get super emotional and cry. I don't really get super excited. It's kind of a steady, like keep, you know, let's, let's you know, focus here and keep going. And um, so I kind of bring a level headedness to the team too. With, with the backup nav work that you do, do you do you keep your hands off the maps for the first day of the race and let the nav be the nav and then you step in? Like, is that agreed upon? Here's why I asked the question. We um, we interviewed Rootstock Racing um, after they win at Shenandoah Epic. And one thing that they talked about was, and this was a, this was a new composition of a team. It was, it was Joel Ford, Karen Delaney, and Paul Miller. They talked a lot before the race about what the in-race dynamic was going to be like. Do you find for the most part that when you successfully, when you race with your, with your partners, like, was that said, like Katie's just not going to be involved in the nav until day two, but then no matter what happens, it goes over her the night of day two. Was that a, a predetermined expectation? Yes. We usually talk about it. And I'm, you know, over the years I've learned like that you need to talk about this and yeah, I'd rather not ask you every, you know, where, where are we going and, and be up on the maps. I, I feel like it just slows us down, especially if whoever is lead nav is doing a great job, like just support them and say they're doing a great job. And then, um, yeah, we usually have a designated like this leg I'm going to take over. If I need to do it sooner, I will. Um, but yeah, no, I'd usually hands off, um, for the first day, just which, to give the confidence to the lead nav, like right. just do which it. Which is important, right? Because if the lead nav feels as if the backup nav is, is over his or her shoulder, it, it plays a dynamic, especially when you get a little hungry, you get a little tired, you get a little afraid, and all of a sudden, you know, that could lead to a breakdown in team dynamics. Yep. Exactly. Not that it's ever happened to you during a race, but you've probably seen it in other teams. When teams come apart at the seams, what do you think causes that? <laughs> uh, well, in world in Spain, uh, you know, hey, uh, Richard and uh, Shane, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they we had the discussion, and it's uh, none of us had raced together before except maybe you know James and Shane, and uh, even though we talked about it ahead of time, it just there was a lot more friction. Who's lad navving? You're not doing a good job. So we uh, nav wise, and then just. Uh, yeah, like physically Shane started uh, not feeling, you know, his back started giving right. out. Um, so some, there was some physical, you know, pain involved too, but uh, things went off the rail that race for sure. And it was, even though we did try to talk about it ahead of time, um, you know, during the race, it was still. Sure, sure. Well, and that's adventure that's racing, right? Sometimes it works out great where you, you come together and, you know, I would assume in retrospect, racing worlds together as a, as a, as a newer team was a pretty tall order because that was a heck of a race. That was yep. a fast race in the start. They had that massive trek in the beginning. It was like a like a hundred k. I think we did like eighty five miles, and I don't know how many tens of thousands of elevation. It was a big, big first yeah. leg. Yeah, and, we, and- we, we we started off on the wrong foot too. We were still in a cafe when the buzzer went off, and and one of our teammates, I won't say who, was like still in the bathroom. <laughs> so I'm having a panic attack because I've never not started a race, and they're all right. clearing out the streets and. In this little Spanish town, so it was a bad start. <laughs> okay, so that, and, and that was a lesson learned, right? That's how you, you sort of see that, right? And so, so putting that experience aside and, and recognizing that probably the navigation combined with the the nav combined with the severity of the first stage combined with racing together as newer racers, you 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 were going to have a hard time no matter what, right? It would have to be magical for it to be perfect and great, and it, and it wasn't. Yeah, and, and on paper, I mean, we, or. 
I think we're all actually very experienced, right? It's just not having the dynamic, like the, you know, the community, not the communication, but just the, the personalities figured out ahead of time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and that's only comes through racing with somebody. You can yeah. talk all you want. Now yeah. on the other, on the, on the flip side of that, you've had races that have gone spectacularly well. Mm-hmm. What, what drove that success? Uh, yeah. Good. Um, kind of, you know, the, the communication before a race, carried over during race. We executed as we discussed, um, things went well in the execution and we, you know, came out first, second, third, you know, to the first CP or second and, you know, first TA. So then just, you know, the adrenaline starts going like, Hey, we're doing really great guys. We're, you know, we're uh, positive talk, helping each other out. I mean, I think that was the biggest um, reason for success, you know, for exhibition Oregon last year is we worked so well as a team and there wasn't one second that. Who was your team there? That was Rhea Coble, uh, Chelsea Magnus, and Jason or uh, Joseph Bellier. Okay. Now back in France, um, yep. and myself, and um, everyone was just constantly helping each other. What can I do? How can I help? Who can I tow? Who can I, you know, talk to? Yeah, it's just constant offering help. Um, and then just yeah, our plan we executed it well. So. What's your uh, what's your in race nutrition strategy? Are you a right? Are you a real food person? Are you a bar person? Are you what's my yeah, other? My, a, are you yeah. whatever whatever my teammate has in their pack person? That's a very common racer too. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever you have tastes way better than whatever I'm going to exactly. carry. Exactly. Uh, real food for sure. Um, I might do like a, a spring energy like gel pack, like more natural, like the mm-hmm. first day for paddling or biking to something. Um, but yeah, definitely as the race goes on. Um, I really um, carried on Olaf uh, Hedberg's uh, cheeseburger from McDonald's or hamburger from McDonald's because as good day three as it is. Day it's, okay. So here, we, so here we are, right? We're in Scotland, right? We're in Scotland. It's Scotland 2019. The morning of the race with the only American team. And we, so there's, you know, all the, all European amazing, you know, they're built like sticks and they're fast and they're strong and they're very, 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 very strong. The morning of the race, I walk down to the McDonald's in Inverness and I, I buy 35 McDonald's cheeseburgers. Yes. And to the point where like the manager came out, what do you mean you 35 of them? And here's the American team. Like, could we be any more of a stereotype? Like yeah. here's the American team. And, and and I'm not exactly the most felt guy as it is. Right. So here I am, you know, and I'm loading bins up with, but I will tell you when day three came, Everybody wanted you. Everybody wanted a bite at McDonald's, and they were looking at me in the TA. <laughs> yes, pretty, yeah, I think Chelsea and Ray were the ones that we sent to go get them do the McDonald's drive-through, and they're like, "We felt so like stupid ordering. <laughs> like, who orders twenty cheeseburgers?" They didn't. What they had the automatic machine in Inverness. It didn't go above ten. Like I'm oh, tapping no. the button. And I'm like, can I talk to a manager, please? And here I am, like, you know, with me being me, negotiating yeah. the purchase of 35 cheeseburgers in Scotland. So it was, it was, it was, it was adventures. As, as soon as you get over like a one day race, you know, the, <laughs> exactly. eat whatever you want, right? Put it in you. Eat whatever um, you want, yeah. And, and then, of course, there's always, now that we're talking about food, you're doing a race and it's three o'clock in the morning and you turn a corner and there's like a 24 hour deli that's open. And it is like, it's like heaven. You turn that corner, you walk in and the guy, there's some poor guy behind the counter and he gets shot out of a cannon because there's 50 adventure racers just basically bought his entire store. Yeah, the corn dogs and the Red Bulls. Like, ah, yes. <laughs> At this point in the podcast, a friend of mine who uh, who, went, who listens, not an adventure racer, but he listens to all the, all the uh, podcasts. He shakes his head because we never talk about like fruits and vegetables. <laughs> we talk about like corn dogs and Red Bull. 
Oh, good vegetables though. The, the people that, I don't know how they just good like vegetables and fruits on the course. I don't, I don't get that, but eco challenge, we like came through this village and I, it was after the little food stand had closed down we couldn't buy anything. So we just stopped. I think it was like the mom of one of the guys that was, you know, portaging or, you know, portering, whatever you say, for us. But I was like, can I buy any food off you? And she gave me just a big cucumber and some crackers. And that cucumber was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a teammate in Scotland hand me a whole carrot. And it was like the greatest thing in the world. It was like eating a pizza, right? Yeah. So so it, it does show up. So, okay. So you, so you expedition to Oregon last year, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds like you had a great race. You just mentioned Fiji. Yep. So let's see, last year was Oregon and worlds the year before. What are we like? That was, is there anything the year before? I think Oregon the year before. Um, and yeah, eco challenge keeping them all straight here. <laughs> yeah. And, and now, nowadays time is like, time is illusionary. Like I forget, yeah. I lose track of the years. Who, now, who is your who is your Fiji team? Uh, Fiji, Fiji kind of got brought on later in the game to the um, the AR Georgia to Jeff and Hunter and Tom Ambrose. So their female was having some back issues, and our team that we applied with in Colorado didn't get selected, um, and so it was a, f- a free agent at that point. And Jeff called me up and said, "Help us cross the finish line." I said, "Okay, <laughs> sounds and, and, fun." And how did that go for you? I mean, that guy, you were clearly that team got a lot of the media coverage, right? So you got the whole experience i'm surprised it didn't get more they were filming us a lot and they did not show a lot which i'm actually thankful for <laughs> um no it was it was good um there was some eye rolling and some things that happened that uh you know i would have maybe done different <laughs> but we finished and that was what we went to accomplish and exactly. it was a great experience being part of the tv show the you know the local villages i'm, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people about that race it was it was a cool experience and then i my family my have you know, two daughters and my husband uh, were there at the finish line, which was awesome. We That's got very to powerful. Vacation a week after. So it was, it was a good, good experience. Yeah. The, the, the two big things I hear about Fiji, uh, Eco Challenge Fiji, was that people were blown away by the scale of the production, that the helicopters and the camera and the camera people and just the, the, all the noise around it. And then they were, um, they also felt too, and this is kind of split. Some people talk about how it was a really, it was a true blue adventure race. Mm-hmm. And some folks felt as if it was it, it kind of ended a bit soon for them that some folks came off the course a little bit earlier than they expected to. Um, but it made for enthralling television. Yeah, yeah, disappointed they didn't continue it, um, would have liked to do more of those. But it was it was the media production. It was it was amazing. And those camera guys that we there's the last trek section. We had a guy doing the same exact. I don't even know, 20 mile, 15, 20 mile trek with the camera the whole time. And we slept and he stayed awake and just yeah, the stuff that they can do. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, the, the, the fascinating thing for those for those who enjoyed Eco Challenge Fiji and they've kind of consumed it. And like the scene with with Team Estonia in the. They had the camera person with them in the canyon when the water came up, how fortuitous, like, as they were with them, um, the the behind the scenes of how those those events were put on. Kevin Hodder was was huge there in the, as, a, as the as the race organ, race organizer. Yeah. And um, the behind the scenes of how those races are produced is sometimes more fascinating than the race itself. And to, and to your point, like the 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 physical fitness of the camera people. I mean, just to hang with teams for hours and hours and hours and carry all that equipment is really something else. Yeah, What's your um? This is this is like asking you to pick your favorite child, right? So it's not a fair question. But what was your favorite race? Oh, of all time. All time. And wow. I, and here's how I kind of qualify it: if you yeah. could go back and just do it again, not the same exact experience, but be dropped in the same spot with the same people, where would you go? Hmm. Oh, 
gosh. Yeah, I needed to think about this one ahead of time. Well, we, we know it's definitely not worlds, so we can take yeah, that one off the table. No, not worlds. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, I loved my teammates for all the Cowboy Tough races. Um, I'd say Primal Quest in Tahoe uh, was at that point. I mean, that was definitely my longest race at the time. That was, would have been 2016, I believe. Um, and took us eight and a half days. Um, loved teammates, the, the just figuring out I could race for that long. It was right. amazing. Um, the scenery, the swift water stuff we did on the, uh, the American rivers there. And it was, it was a really great experience for us. So the whole, it all kind of came together for you. Yeah. yeah right. Teammate terrain, weather challenges. It all started to check itself out for you. Yep. Definitely. So, so let's, 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 let's pay some bills a little bit. So never summer adventure race. When, when's it coming up? Never summer is July 16th, 17th this year. Uh, we are returning to the area of the Colorado river. Uh, Rancho del Rio is a little private owned area there. Um, but it is an all new course from previous years. If people have done the race before, um, I have a six hour and a 24 hour, um, and it'll be, yeah, some class two, three swift water paddling, mountain biking, trekking over, you know, Colorado Rockies. I love that area because it is like the, the upper Colorado has that, the, you know, the red dirt sagebrush area, like more desert feel. And then you go up, you know, 500 feet and you get into the Alpine, uh, you know, the evergreens, it's, it's changing ecosystems, you know, within 20 minutes. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's amazing how you, you and we don't see that back East. I mean, back East, the East is the East, right. And First off, so much of our land is settled here. So as a result of that, we've we've lost huge swaths of wilderness. But definitely having been out west, a little bit of elevation gain, completely different story. Mm-hmm. Has the for the for the boats for that race, is it is, are you supplying the boats or pack rafts expected? Uh, pack rafts, um, but we do uh, there's a Colorado River Center out of Rancho Del Rio that has uh, duckies available for rent. So it's a big reason I stay close to that area because that is a, a boat source that is critical um, in this this area. You have them right there so, waiting for you. Yeah, so they uh, so I have a link on the website uh, that you know tells people to rent their you know tandem or uh, single ducky there. But um, stand up paddle boards, uh, pack rafts, um, people can bring their their own inflatable um, if they have them. Yeah, we are, we're doing a race here. Naira is doing the longest day race, and there's um, racers are to bring their own pack rafts. And you know, pack rafts are interesting because they've not yet made the jump over to general population. Everyone really knows what they are. And so mm-hmm. somebody asked, "Well, can I bring this? Can I bring this?" And the race director basically said, "If it floats, you could use it. Yep. Like put a PFD on, and if you want to get on it, that's your call." Leo. You know? So yeah. who knows what they're going to be? And you have to. It's going to be interesting to see who shows up with what. But there's. We've talked a lot recently, and like I said, Eric Caravalla. And by the time this premieres, that episode is already out there. Um, Eric in Pack Rafting Adventures talks a lot about the growth of, of pack rafting and adventure racing and how that's getting more and more people further and further into the backcountry. Yep. Yep. I miss my alpaca. <laughs> well, on, on that note of what, of what you're missing, um, I... I Sometimes it's a, it's a trope and it's overused. The idea that adventure racing prepares you for life, right? And by 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 having a challenge, an artificial challenge, and echoing Grant Killian again, right? A contrived inconvenience that by doing these things artificially, it prepares you for life's challenges that come down the pike. And as you and I spoke a bit before we started recording, and as the adventure race community, many people know about it because it was a very public event. You recently had a very, very challenging situation with your home and a fire. And tell us a bit about that. 
Yeah, December 30th, 2021, we were skiing in Breckenridge that morning and uh, started hearing about a fire that was not too far. It's actually my favorite mountain bike trail that I ride every every day, Davidson Mesa, Marshall Mesa area, South Boulder. And, um, you know, at the time, my, my sister-in-law, who lives not, you know, two towns over, was trying to get in touch with us. And we, uh, you know, said, it's not going to cross the, you know, the major highway, you know, interstate that goes between Denver and Boulder. It's not, it's not going to cross there. And there's no way it's going to get to our neighborhood. Um, we live up on, uh, basically on top of Davidson Mesa. Um, we had just built our kind of long-term dream home <laughs> up there. We had just finished, finished building it last year when, um, the fire came through and, and took out our, pretty much our whole street and a lot of our neighborhood. Um, in addition to, you know, huge areas of Superior and Louisville. Um, so we came back or actually my husband came back that afternoon and we actually have footage of our house burning because <laughs> he, he was able to sneak in. Um, but yeah, so for, you know, a few days it's, um, you know, it's hard not to cry and talk about it, but then after that, it's, you know, you stand up, you walk forward, you like, what do you need to do next? What do you need? Like, where do like, what do we need to do? And, and knowing also we have kids watching us, you know, our every move and you know, it doesn't help to, to sit around and do nothing. You have to show them like, just keep one foot in the other, in front of the other and, um, and make steps with insurance and rebuilding. So, um, but yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's funny you put it that way. I mean, definitely like adventure racing, you know, so like much of like life that you can, you know, connect, <laughs> you know, the resiliency, the the suffering, the things you go through in adventure racing with, with life. Um, and I don't know if, you know, if, which came first chicken or, you know, is it the type of people that could survive anything do adventure racing or does adventure racing help you survive every anything? Um, but yeah, we've, um, um, you know, we're kind of viewing this as an adventure and, you know, still, uh, we just got into a new, uh, new place that we're at for a month, uh, two days ago. And then we have our, our next move on June 1st. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's an adventure for us. And, um, you know, I, I do, there's a lot of similarities between, uh, an expedition adventure race and your house burning. <laughs> well, and, and it's, and it's true. And, and well, first of all, thank God you're safe and your family's safe. Right. Which yeah. I'm sure was, was an incredible consolation in the very beginning when you were absorbing it. And, and, you know, and I was in, I was involved in following along and hearing about it. And many people I'm sure listen to this probably saw the same thing. I know that the adventure race community and the general community, very strong with you, uh, the GoFundMe came across and people really, they showed their caring for you by, by doing what they can in that direction. Yeah. I want to publicly thank everybody that's like reached out, um, contributed financially or gear. Um, and people even were sending me boxes of, of adventure stuff. So it's, it's, it's just amazing the the support and love um, that we felt and still feel now. And so just thank you. If anyone contributed to that, I just, from the bottom of our hearts, we really, we thank you. Well, table we'll story, right? What you, what you put out in the world comes back to you, right? And people, and people, they couldn't, re- they couldn't do enough for you and they returned that caring to you. And I, I think it's important. And like I said, I, I tend to avoid the conversation about how, you know, every, everything is not always a proxy for life. And sometimes racing is just racing, right? We're people with maps on our hands running around in the woods for 24, 36, five days, whatever it is. But I, I think that your, your point before about like what chicken or the egg, what comes first? I bet it's probably a little bit of both, right? Mm-hmm. And adventure racers, they enter the sport with a sense of a, a can-do a can do attitude. It has to be there somewhat. But as you go through increased challenges and as you do bigger and bigger races, you realize that you can be more. And more importantly, you could be who you have to be at a certain time. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure that if I gave you enough time, you could point to a part in a race where you thought you were done. Like, mm-hmm. I'm finished. I can't go on. 
I'm, I'm toast, a little rest, a little sugar, a little caffeine, and then you moved forward. Yeah. I'm, we will only ask that there's probably some parallels to your life right now going through the same feeling. Has this interfered with your ability to put on the Never Summer Race or are you able to do both? Uh, able to do both. So that's so January I think 14th was when my permit was due to BLM and um, I had not like completed everything. I was going to dedicate the you know first week that the kids went back to school to, right. to doing that. So I reached out to uh, Jason Blair, who's uh, raced a bunch of uh, my races and has helped um, another race director do some um, course uh, scouting and setting. So I, I reached out to him. He lives in Steamboat Springs, so not too far from where the Never Summer races. And he said he was happy to help. Um, so he's been a big part of, uh, course planning this year. Um, so I'm really excited to have him on board and, and help. Um, and he got that permit submitted to BLM and has been working with national forest. Um, so as I'm able to contribute more and more, I'm kind of, you know, taking some things and, and we're meeting, but he'll, he'll stay involved the whole time and, uh, and continue to help me. He's been amazing. Good. Um, the same thing with uh, sleep when you're dead, which is October, a 12 hour overnight, uh, race, um, uh, the, uh, Bruce that puts on the nomad or has been trying to put on the nomad for the past couple of years, uh, has offered to kind of help me with, with that event as well. Um, so, um, yeah, I've got some great people helping. And so it's not going to affect, um, affect anything, uh, gear wise, our first big purchases after the fire, we, we, we got our bikes, we got some new bikes. <laughs> so I have it's, that. it's a bit of a bright spot. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. So uh, there's a few things you don't have to. I just haven't got a new pack and little <laughs> small things like that. But <laughs> so, so what? What is your next race? Uh, that I'm racing. Yeah. I don't have anything on the calendar. It's it's been a little bit of a stress to think of all the things that I don't have yet. Right. Um, I mean, there's a six hour or 12 hour Genesis race in May that I've been invited to join and they'll let me join last minute. Um, I have a bike, but um, like I said, I still need to get a pack. So once I start getting a few more things, I'll probably commit to, to doing a race, but I'm not there yet. And I don't want to fall into the trap of, of an East coaster, but I almost feel like nationals, which is in California this year is kind of in your backyard. Yeah, no, I'd love to go out there. Um, and, you know, also team and new you know, racers that are listening, you know, finding the right team is it's tough. And um, over the past few years, I've kind of been a free agent because the team that, you know, I mentioned Primal Quest and um, Cowboy Tough, you know, we've kind of gone our different, you know, uh, you know, Ryan just had a, his wife just had their second baby. Julian's not wanting to do the longer races, you know, so team wise, I've uh, kind of been a little bit more of a free, free agent. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, if someone invites me and you know, it's a good fit, then, um, you know, I'm, I'm open to, to looking well, at that race. But that's a really good thing for, for the newer racers who, who are, who are on the, are on the listening to the podcast today. It's mm -hmm. not uncommon for there to be mobility among race teammates. It's a very, very common thing. And yeah. what I found a, a working solution that it works out really well for people is that when you go to races, watch the other racers, watch them in the parking lot, watch them during the race. And don't hesitate to say to somebody, hey, I, I got an open spot here for this race. Do you want to go? Like there's mm -hmm. a there's a, a racer in Philadelphia named Jared Kresge, um, who we got to know through racing alongside him. Mm -hmm. And my race partner, Jimmy, and I had a we, we won the third for, for the Stockville, which is the two day race that Rootstock puts on. Mm -hmm. And Jared joined us and we had a really good result in large part due to him and who he was as a racer. So you're right. It's OK to kind of shop around and it's OK to look for teammates. Yeah. Yep. So it's, uh, yeah, at the same time, I mean, it's 
good to have those bad experiences too. Cause then you can like, okay, like now I know how to communicate. Like, this is how I race. This is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. This is my goal for this race. Like, are you on the same page as I right. am? Um, and so having some fails in the past and joining teams that didn't work out for me, you know, I, I know to you know, ask the right questions yeah. now. Or, and yeah. I've been there myself. I've been paired with people that is, was, was not a very good fit and, you know, and, and you learn during the race to sort of deal with it. And after the race, you, you grow from it. Right. Cause I know every, challenging relationship that I have, I bring something to the table also. It's not just the other person, right? It's never just them. It's myself too. Right. Um, whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me also, right? That's a, a spiritual axiom that people work with, but you grow from it. Um, yeah. And I think that's a, I think it was a through line to your, your conversation with me today, Katie, that's a big part of it, right? The idea that you, you grow from this sport and the sport makes you better, whether it be dealing with a family challenge that you're going through right now, and, or whether it be putting on a race, whether it be whatever it is, you learn from it and you move forward. Yep. And yeah, and even like three days, four days after the fire, we were already starting to see like, how are we going to be better people in the end? How are we going to help people better? How can we give better in the future? How can we support people better in the future? Same thing, you know, racing, like how, you know, how can I do better next time? How can I bring more to the team? Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a, an interesting realization for sure. Thank you, Katie, for sharing your time and experience with our listeners. Always at the Dark Zone, enjoy bringing adventure into your life, and thank you, listeners, for choosing to spend time with us. If you've enjoyed this episode, please pay a visit to your podcast streaming platform of choice and leave us a review. That's the best way to spread the word. Also, always feel free to reach out to me, Brian, at ardarkzone.com. Your feedback and guest suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for joining us, and have fun out there. <laughs>